listening to Practicing Gospel. I'm David Rayburn. In my interview with Rabbi Nancy Fuchs-Kreimer about her work in peace and peace building, Rabbi Fuchs-Kreimer spoke of the importance of focusing more on the heart rather than on the head. When we focus upon the head, and by that Rabbi Fuchs-Kreimer means such things as trying to persuade someone with reason, talking about issues, ideas, perspectives, and worldviews. We quickly devolve into conflict, rancor, angry behavior, division, and brokenness. When we focus upon the heart, however, and by this Rabbi Fuchs-Kreimer means especially the sharing of and listening to each other's personal stories and life journeys, it becomes a way to build bridges of compassion, peace, and caring across the divide. It changes minds and brings healing. In my interviews with Maida Commerce, if I understand her correctly, Maida speaks of the use of personal stories and life journeys in the process of bridge building, healing, and peace building as story medicine. My own experiences and observations with and about LGBTQ people especially LGBTQ Christians, have been characterized by Rabbi Fuchs-Kreimer's insights, descriptions, and wisdom because so much of what has occupied the conversations, debates, and media coverage around LGBTQ issues, rights, and inclusion is angry disagreement, conflict, and division. What has been drowned out, ignored, and intentionally excluded are the personal stories of real people, real LGBTQ people, especially LGBTQ Christians. Hearing these personal stories is a means of bridge building and changing minds. Just as Made of Commerce says, it is a type of story medicine and thus a means of healing. Stories like the ones you are about to hear or what changed my mind. So I want you to hear some of these stories also. My guests are four Christians across three generations. They are here to share their life stories and journeys that include their commitment as Christians and the celebration of their sexual identity. So I eagerly welcome and introduce you to four of the most amazing Christians I know. Nancy Flippin, Mindy Allen, Reverend Amy Cantrell, and Sully Hart. So welcome, each of you. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Uh, let's now get to hear your stories, and I think we're going to start with Nancy. So Nancy, take her away. All righty. Um, well, I was uh, raised in a very conservative Christian home, um, I guess I didn't really realize it was conservative in my early years. I just accepted that that was um, what Christianity was. Um, and my father was a really important figure to me. Um, he became a Christian as an adult. Um, and so uh, he was, he was uh, being converted and learning Christianity as he was trying to raise his family. And he took his role as the sort of the head of the family um, and representing Christ to us very seriously. Um, and so we had a lot of religious um, education in our home, um, a lot of Bible study every night and prayer time. Um, and for the most part, as a, a child, I really sort of enjoyed it, welcomed it. Um, 
uh, dad was made sure that he also spent a lot of good family time with us. It wasn't just about the Bible and about learning. Um, but as I grew older and sort of came, I guess, towards um, middle school and high school, I began to sort of really question some of what I was being taught and what I had learned. Um, and especially, I guess, um, I had an experience when I was in junior high school um, where my mother um, sort of accused me of being gay. Um, and at the time, it was a situation that was pretty innocent. Um, but she really planted the seed for me in a way of beginning to think of myself in that way. Um, I continued on high school, graduated high school. My parents were missionaries. I lived in Korea. I came back to the States, went to a very conservative Christian school. Um, and while I was at that college, um, I became involved with another woman and had a relationship for a couple of years. Um, and so I felt um, really disjointed in my life. Um, I was one way in classes. I towed the line. I did what I was supposed to do. Um, and then after classes, I would leave campus and do all sorts of other things. Um, experimenting with a lot of different stuff, um, just trying to figure out who I was and what I really believed um, and not really sure um, where I fit in. And I just, I felt like I was really two different people. Um, and that continued for me um, for a, a while. Um, I had an experience um, during college where my father sat down, sat me down and asked me if I was having um, a sexual relationship with uh, this other woman. And I said, yes. And so he counseled me um, and told me that I needed to memorize more scripture um, so that I would stop living in sin um, and doing these things that I knew I was, that were totally wrong. Um, and that um, kind of from that point on, my relationship with my my father sort of, and my family um, began to sort of deteriorate. Um, and I really began to really distance myself from them um, for a while anyway. <laughs> um, and then in, uh, after college, um, was working for a while in a, got to a point in my life where I really just sort of, um, came to a decision point of, am I gonna continue down this path that I'm on that it was really kind of self-destructive? Or um, was I gonna try to change and sort of be, come closer to God again um, and figure out who I was? Um, and so I decided that I wanted to sort of get close to God again. Um, strange circumstances, but my parents were moving to Hawaii. My dad was taking a church there. So I thought moving to Hawaii was a really good idea for me to sort of start over again. Uh, and so I did, I moved to Hawaii, moved back home with my parents, got very involved in the church um, and uh, really accepted um, the teachings of my father at the church and um, got really involved in some campus, or not some campus ministries, but some um, young adult ministries uh, with navigators and some other Bible study groups. Um, and during this time, I met Mindy. Um, and that was a real eye opener for me because uh, I felt that was the cruelest thing that God could possibly do was for me to meet someone who was exactly the person I wanted and needed, who completed me in every way um, and was really my soulmate. And then to say, but you can't have this relationship because it's a same sex relationship. And that really started for me, um, my struggle for the next, I would say probably 10 years of really grappling mm -hmm. with that, of figuring out how I could follow Christ and love another woman uh, and it took it took me a long time, and it's still a journey I'm I'm on. But the place that I've come to is to realize that I am a beloved child of God, 
uh, created in God's image, exactly as I am. Um, and and um, it's not God who judges me, it's people who judge me um, and who sort of misuse scripture um, and misuse some of their understanding um, to say that somehow I am less than anyone else in terms of my spiritual life. And so that it's taken me a long time to get there, but I'm at a place um, finally <laughs> now in my life where I know that this is who I am, this is who I was created to be, and this is the life that God has given me to, li to live and to lead. Um, and my calling is to follow as closely as I can the teachings of Christ, to model my life after Christ, and not to worry so much about what other people think. Thank you, Nancy. Mindy? All righty. Um, I also grew up in the church. Um, it wasn't a conservative church necessarily. Um, I grew up part, part of the time as a Lutheran and then as a Methodist and then uh, Church of the Brethren. That was, <laughs> that was kind of the journey in my childhood until I went off to college. Um, I never really had close um, girlfriends, but I loved uh, hanging out and playing with the boys. Um, football and baseball and all of those things. Um, so I was kind of a tomboy. I didn't date in high school, but I was pretty happy not dating. I, I didn't either either way, I, you know, girls or boys, I just had friends. And there was always a group of us that hung together. Um, and so after high school and uh, went to college and didn't go to church during college, just kind of let that drop by the wayside and really focused on uh, sports and studies. Um, and then after college, I moved away from home and got a teaching job in Southern West Virginia and kind of drifted back to a Methodist church and uh, enjoyed the familiar rhythms that come with church life. Um, I still didn't really have anybody that I wanted to date. And, you know, it just, it never really was an issue for me. Um, and I didn't feel one way or the other that, oh, I'm gay or, oh, I'm straight. It um, just was friends hanging out um, until I started corresponding with a high school friend, uh, Ted, and we started dating kind of long distance. And then uh, in the summers when I would go back home to Maryland in between teaching years. Um, and we decided we would get married, um, and we did. I went back to West Virginia to teach after we were married, and he went to Korea on a remote assignment with the Air Force. Um, so I was kind of just checking off my boxes. I was, you know, graduated from college. Um, got a master's degree while I was starting my teaching career, got married. It's just kind of, that was what I was supposed to do. Um, and then uh, while he was in Korea and my last year of teaching in West Virginia before moving to Hawaii, I was invited to go to a revival at a Free Will Baptist Church um, by the women who were cooks at the school where I worked. And I had a real conversion experience of um, realizing that I knew a lot about God, um, that I didn't have a heart relationship. Um, and so that started a nice journey of <laughs> trying to figure out how I was going to explain this to Ted, who was not a believer at all. Um, but we kind of muddled through. I, we left uh, West Virginia, moved to Hawaii, and um, and things were just not good. Um, in retrospect, I should never have gotten married. Um, we Our relationship just deteriorated, and I was feeling pretty alienated. I didn't have a church that I was going to. I was really far from home. Um, and then uh, someone that worked in Ted's office on the Air Force Base, told me about a church that I might want to try and it happened to be the church that Nancy's father was the pastor of. And uh, 
I got to know Nancy. She was on the visitation team and <laughs> came to visit me after I visited the church. And uh, a friendship started growing from there. So at that point, Ted and I decided we would um, divorce. And Nancy was in the process of uh, getting ready to move to Atlanta to work at, uh, with a campus ministry. And so um, Nancy and I talked and decided that maybe it'd be good for me just to move to Atlanta. Um, and I think there were some feelings there, but not feelings that I felt I could pursue. They just did not um, fit in with the faith that I had been raised in. Uh, and, and it's probably more cultural and family than um, really exploring uh, what the Bible really had to say. Although most of the time it's used against people who are gay. Um, there's, uh, there's just not a lot. Well, there wasn't a lot out there in terms of um, resources at that time for me to read and look into. So we moved to Atlanta. Um, we lived together. We built a house together, uh, but kept saying, well, we're just, we're great friends. We just really, we're just great friends. And all our <laughs> friends kind of accepted that. Uh, the church community that we went to accepted that. We worked with a uh, inner city ministry uh, that was pretty conservative and um, did that for about 10 years. And then when we were about 40, I guess, um, things started to change. Uh, we decided we would explore our relationship more uh, in a different way and started coming out to each other. Um, it took a lot, it, there was a lot of baggage, um, all, all from church and, and our faith. Uh, so it took a long time, but when we finally decided it was a wonderful thing and um, we ended up leaving the church that we were in because the pastor was not very supportive when we let him know what we had decided and um, found a church that was very accepting and open and, uh, and started meeting a, a lot of other gay and lesbian Christians who we really respected and um, appreciated the walk that they had with Jesus. And um, so it, it's been a journey. It's, it continues to be a journey, but it's one that I feel totally reconciled with and, um, and comfortable in, in who I am and, um, and grateful, really grateful for the journey that um, God has led us on. It's, it's been very um, joyful for the most part. There were some struggles, but it's, it's a wonderful thing. And you all are married. And we are married. Yeah. Yes. And when did that happen? Um, in, well, it, we, <laughs> we couldn't legally get married for quite a while. So I think in 2013, uh, we lived in Georgia and Georgia still had no, uh, no marriage for uh, same-sex couples. So we went to Maryland and uh, got married there in the courthouse of the county that I grew up in. And then uh, in 2014, we had a wedding at the church that, that we attended. Uh, so we legally got married and then had a wedding with our faith community. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you all. Mm -hmm. Amy? What beautiful stories. Thank you. Thank you for your courage and your, your strength and your journey. It's very, very powerful. I, I believe that uh, one of the greatest ways the church has deprived itself is, is that it has deprived itself of the gifts of queer people of faith. Um, and I'm very passionate about how we might uh, be embraced as, as both a a prophetic gift and a gift of love from God to the church. So thank you all for that. Um, wow, this is, it takes me back. Um, I, I was not a son of a preacher, man, but I was the, the daughter of a Baptist organist and uh, the daughter of a Methodist minister. Um, and so as they came together, um, 
mom decided not to deprive the church of, of music, so she uh, became Baptist. So I grew up in the Southern Baptist Church. Um, I have a twin sister. So we grew up, I say we were there every time the doors were open. That was our community. Um, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, um, choir, all the things. I spent uh, most of my waking moments outside of school and just family at church. And so that was very much a part of my growing up. Um, and, and that particular uh, genre of faith, I accepted Jesus into my heart. And that was much of what folks said um, so at the age of nine. And, um, that's, and I was very, very dedicated, I'll say, to, to the church and to, to what I thought that meant. And lo and behold, I discovered that I should let Jesus out into the rest of my life and not just keep him inside my heart. Um, and that was a journey, a, a big journey. And so um, much of that journey, there was, there was a very tumultuous time when I was in high school uh, where I went through um, deep doubts of my faith. Um, and I feel sure that was probably connected to, to a lot of my identity, although um, much of that I kept very much on the surface. Um, but as a, you know, I look back now and, and my understanding as, you know, as I was going through adolescence, um, that I was clearly struggling with, you know, who was I in the world? What was I about? What was this faith about? Um, just lots of, but, but no real clear sort of questioning of my sexual orientation at that point in time, but just more a question, you know, who am I in the world and what is this all about? Uh, which is, I think, the quintessential journey of any adolescent. Uh, but I went through a very dark period of doubting my faith and believing that I was going to hell um, just because I didn't do it right. Because in my um, particular faith community, there there were um, many sort of revival preachers coming through at that point in time, and and they they all had sort of this line of shtick that went something like, "Do you know? Are you sure? Do you know that you know that you know? I've met preachers who didn't know, you know, and I if you if you die tonight, are you going to hell? You know, all the things." And so I, as a very sincere uh, person, as I look back, I took all of that to heart. And, and so I prayed what was in my uh, faith community called the sinner's prayer. It's this very short prayer. And if you said it, then you were saved. Mm -hmm. And so I would pray that um, like this magic mantra that somehow if I just prayed it, maybe I didn't have the words in the right order or something didn't take. Um, so I was always scared somehow I didn't do it right. And so I went through that for a very long time and talked to people, uh, you know, adults that, that, you know, cared about me. And, you know, I always kind of came back to the same answers. And so, you know, at some point on my journey, I finally had to realize I have to trust God. I have to trust God with this whole thing. Like, I don't know if I'm doing it right. I want to do it right. Um, and so, so ultimately there was this, move, I think, from a very, uh, what would be sort of the first rung of faith development, where, you know, my faith was given to me in, in this very rote form. But, but in that moment, I sort of crossed over into a more adult faith, where I said, there's something bigger than this, that it's, it's more mysterious. And I would say now, like, I have to be swept up in, in God. Um, and that's God's doing and not mine. And so that was probably my first like experience of grace, even though I didn't even have that language. Uh, though we talked about amazing grace and sang amazing grace, I wouldn't have known what that is. But as an adult, theologically, that's what I was experiencing. That at some point, God just has to let me off the hook because <laughs> there's never enough um, sinner's prayer repeated that's going to get me there and make me feel um, okay because it's not mine to do. And so. You know, also on the backdrop of that, um, there was this moment. So my my mother's youngest brother was coming out to the family. Um, so I didn't really know for a long time what was going on. I just knew that there was lots of angst and quiet adult conversations when the kids went to bed and tears. And, um, and then I found out from my cousin kind of whispered hush hush that Uncle Frank's gay. 
Um, and I also remember on the backdrop of that, you know, that being equated with this most horrible thing, you know, from all these revival preachers. That was a sure sign you were going to hell. And I remember breaking uh, village people records because I heard they were gay and I had village people records, you know. So, so it's all these things that, that I equate with, again, this very um, rote faith of, you know, in and out, you know, do's and don'ts. And so um, all of those things were happening sort of simultaneously. So I went off to college. I went to college in my hometown to a, a liberal arts school that identified um, as Christian, but, but really coming out of multiple streams of Christianity um, that were more, I would say, sort of middle to liberal Christian, which was you know, very different sort of from the fundamentalism that I had grown up with. Um, I had become a big leader in our youth group. I remember um, all my high school friends who were guys were ordained when we graduated from high school. Um, and the women who had spoken and prayed at youth group and done all the same things that they did were, were then relegated to the nursery. So that was my first you know, realization that, that um, ultimately there was th this division in the church um, that I didn't under knew I didn't even know it was divided until I sort of hit this glass ceiling. Um, but I went off to college and there was a, a female chaplain and I was like, oh, <laughs> that's interesting. And I got uh, really involved in our student Christian association. And um, ultimately through that began to see some different forms of Christianity. Um, and beginning to feel like I might be called to weave this faith story to people's stories and lives. Um, and that was my first twinge of like, I might want to do this. And so um, that was a very powerful moment. People made fun of me for how well I knew the Bible. So it was lots of jokes about all the sword drills paid off. I had this <laughs> reputation for the Bible really well. Um, and then lo and behold, the chaplain in my second year of school uh, decided to take us on a spring break mission trip to New York City. Um, and to prepare, we read Matthew 25, where Jesus said, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. And I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me sick and in prison. You came to visit me. And I thought, I have never heard the scripture my whole life. Here I had been to church every time the doors were open um, and won all the sword drills, but I didn't know that scripture. And, and it really took me aback. I'm like, this is not like Malachi, right? This is G the red letters of Jesus here. Um, and so I began to wonder like, why was that kept from me? Like what's going on with that? And so um, we went to New York that week and we were invited by a woman at Union Seminary who had gone to my college and been very uh, deeply moved by a trip that she had gone on in college. And so wanted to invite us um, as a thank you. And so uh, some of us that were really thinking we might want to do ministry went to one of her classes and it was a preaching class and she came out in that class. Um, and that was a very like, what what's going on? And I remember she had anointed me um, the very first night we were there and I, the spirit was very present. I just remember such a palpable feeling of experience of the Holy Spirit. And so my mind could not connect those dots. Like what? And, and ultimately, I chose to, to come down on the side of my experience with God. But I had this experience with God in that moment. I experienced her um, as this powerful um, conduit of God's love and grace and calling. And so uh, when I came back, my sister, who, who was also there, told my parents and they confronted me in the middle of the night um, and told me never to associate with that chaplain, with those people, with that, that person in New York um, and made sure that I renounced uh, that um, and renounced homosexuality. And, so it was a very tumultuous journey. Um, there, there are many moments like this over many years, but ultimately I couldn't say that that was wrong anymore. Something had changed in me. Um, and it was because I experienced God 
and somebody that I was told uh, could have nothing to do with God. And so that began began uh, my long journey. I don't know if we quite have time for all these stories, David. Um, but I ultimately came out in seminary, um, which was a, a very powerful and, and beautiful and hard experience. Um, I had uh, chosen to go to Presbyterian Seminary. And while I was there, uh, the, the Presbyterian Church decided not to ordain openly gay people, um, even though I was one step away from ordination. So I left that process. Um, and 15 years later, um, was ordained by the Presbyterian Church and, and a, quite a powerful moment and story um, where, and I continued to do ministry even though uh, the church wouldn't ordain me. And so that, that was a, an amazing, amazing thing for the church to say. Um, we see the gospel of Jesus being lived in the way that you walk. And it really came out of that experience in New York where we met people on the streets and met Jesus. Um, as Jesus appears and, and ordinary people who are particularly suffering, um, as Matthew 25 would say. And so all of my journeys sort of caught up in all those different wonderful, powerful moments. But I tell you, I came back from New York and, and I would hang out at the soup kitchen. I started hanging out with God's people who were suffering. And I had a mentor that came um, maybe six months later and, and she sat me down and she, she asked me, if I was queer, and I was like, I don't know, I don't know, the panic question, you know, when confronted, um, I said, why did you ask me that, and she said, you, you have such a deep connection with people who are oppressed, and I'm trying to figure out where it comes from, because it comes from inside of you, there's something about you that's experienced that, um, and wants to connect, and wants to, to be a part of people lifting each other up um, from the place of the heart, and wants to be a part of God's move in the world, uh, which is a movement of inclusion and love and grace and a movement where we use God's words and God's work to heal and not harm. So that's my story. And you are, you're, you're, you were also married. I am married and, and I have two uh, wonderful uh, six-year-old twins. And I, I was laughing because this got drawn tonight. I don't, and they don't even really know that the rainbows are connected with queer folk, but I just was laughing because this was on the table when I started this tonight. And, and um, it's a powerful sign to me, you know, and, and they're growing up however they'll grow up. Um, well, you, you, it's just, wonderful. Just my audience won't see that. You need to tell us what that is. Oh, yes. I, I keep forgetting I'm on a podcast. It's a little scribbled uh, uh, asymmetrical heart that's all colorific to rainbows. Um, because kids love rainbows. Kids love all colors. Um, it's really amazing. You know, I look out at God's creation. I tell my kids, how many different kinds of trees are there? How many different kinds of flowers are there? That's how many different kinds of people there are. Because God loves all kinds of different people. And so here we are. But And I can't wait to see how they turn out. <laughs> It'll be fun. Well, thank you, Amy. I appreciate that. Thank okay. you all. Uh, Sully? Um, yes. So I guess the before I go into my story, I just want to acknowledge uh, that with my own journey of coming out, there is an element of privilege there. Um, I, you know, I don't think anybody's coming out journey is easy, but mine was certainly made easier by my family and community. Um, and, and maybe not uh, it might not be representative of a lot of the hardships that um, young LGBTQ youth face. Um, my parents, uh, I grew up in a, in a church-going family, a family of Christians, um, but my parents always made it very clear to me that um, if I came home with a woman, they would love me and love her, and if I came home with a man, they would love me and love him. Um, looking back, I wonder if maybe uh, they said that so many times because they knew that's something that I needed to hear growing up. Um, but I, I was so fortunate that I never had to worry about uh, losing my relationship with my family or being rejected by them. Uh, that isn't to say that uh, my coming out experience was easy. It certainly took uh, a lot of 
you know, parsing through and, and work and courage uh, that at the time I wasn't even sure I possessed. Um, I always knew deep down uh, that I, I had a certain attraction towards men um, that maybe wasn't there for other uh, young men in my peer group. Um, but when every movie and every book and every TV show around you is giving you countless examples of straight men to watch and to emulate, you get really good at playing that part. It's sort of a masterclass in how to uh, fit in and how to act straight. Uh, and if you are scared enough, uh, you start to believe it yourself and you, you tell yourself that that's you too. Uh, so coming up in middle and high school, I, I would tell myself that I had crushes on some of the girls in my class. Uh, in high school, I dated a wonderful young woman and we're still close friends to this day, but none of it felt the way that that I was told it should feel in the books and movies and other people's stories. Um, you know, my first kiss and dancing at the prom and all these things just didn't feel as wonderful as everyone said that it would and as fulfilling. And I just told myself that it would come with time, that, you know, I would keep living my life and eventually I'd get there. Um, and then I went to college uh, and during my freshman year, two very important things happened. The first is that I went to my cousin's wedding um, and saw how happy they were as she was walking down the aisle and through the whole day. And I remember thinking, I don't know if I'll feel this way at my wedding. If if I'm getting married to a woman, I just don't, I don't know that that joy will be there for me. And that was terrifying to me because you know, it was the rest of your life. Uh, and then probably a more important thing was that I, I probably had what was the first real crush of my life when I went to college. Um, I, you know, fell head over heels with this uh, guy that I met there, and 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 all of it felt the way that people say said that it should. Everything that was missing from my high school relationship and the crushes before was all there now, um, and so I had some some figuring out to do and a decision to make, and it sort of was. It affirmed what I had thought and what I had feared uh, for a while. Um, I had long been an advocate for LGBTQ rights. I, I never thought that there was a problem with that uh, just because of uh, the community I grew up in, but I, it's always different when it's you. And I was so afraid to, to be not in the majority and to, to be the person that other people were having to speak up for. Um, and so I, I went the summer after I got home from my freshman year and talked to a mentor of mine, uh, and a, he was a faith leader and an ordained minister, and I knew that he loved me, and I loved and trusted him, and I told him everything that I've just told you, and he basically told it all back to me through the most loving and compassionate lens he could, and after we both kind of gone through the story, I think I knew then what I needed to do and what I wanted to do, and I felt that that simple conversation with somebody that I love, who was also a deep person of faith, uh, was the boost that I needed to to kind of tell the truth uh, for the first time in my life. And I then told my family immediately. It was never, I don't think I could ever have concealed such an important part of my life and coming of age from them. And they were as compassionate and supportive as I could ever have hoped. Um, and from there, I went to tell close friends and kept it at an intimate circle of people that I that I trusted. But slowly and slowly, I allowed that circle to grow uh, to the point when I would I would tell people I had just met or tell people that I wasn't very close to. Um, and it took about two years, I think, to get to that point from telling, you know, my select few to just letting it be a part of other people's perception of me. Uh, regarding reconciling this uh, journey of my sexuality with my beliefs, um, I've been so fortunate through the course of my life to call many churches home. Um, and so I've learned from so many different uh, leaders and different traditions about what it means to be a Christian and a follower of Christ. Uh, and luckily for me, uh, all of these church homes brought me into contact with devout Christians who either affirmed LGBTQ Christians and to, or who were gay themselves. Um, and the church that I attended my freshman year or all through college that I had 
just attended for a year, First Baptist Church Greenville, had just gone through this discernment process for themselves and, um, you know, seemed fulfilled and, and functioning as a community of faith after saying that they not only accepted gay Christians or LGBTQ Christians, but that they celebrated them. And I thought, if I've met all of these people and have seen God in each of them and have learned about love and grace and faith from all of them, and they all say this is okay, that's good enough for me. Um, and, and during my darkest, most scared times, the prayer that I would always tell my, the prayer that I would always say was, God, please don't let me be gay. And after praying that for years, literally years, every single night, I thought, well, maybe this isn't the prayer I should be saying. And so I remember just one day, it was like a light switch and the prayer changed to, God, give me the courage I need and the strength I need to live the life you're calling me to live and allow others to live that life as well. And around this time, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of gay marriage uh, as I said, my college church had just been through their own discernment process, and it seemed like the stars aligned, and I, my path was very, very clear set before me. And here we are today. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, each of your stories is courageous and amazing, uh, and I am deeply grateful for you sharing them. Uh, I do want to talk about the um, generational experience. Um, because Kathy, I mean, excuse me, <laughs> Nancy and Mindy, uh, are my age, uh, in that ballpark. And I know, um, one of my closest, uh, longest friends, um, like, uh, each of you, uh, became Christian, uh, and was passionately, uh, committed to Christianity, uh, was, we were assuming he was going into the ministry. And um, in college uh, was when he began to grapple with his own identity. And back then, this is in the mid-70s, um, there was no uh, option. Uh, you couldn't be gay and Christian. Uh, you either had to be Christian or you had to be gay. And it was enough of a struggle for him that he gave up faith. Uh, and... Uh, but he also lived in the context still that um, he couldn't come out. Um, he said that he would immediately uh, drop friendships if they inadvertently or even unintentionally or, or intentionally but not maliciously uh, outed him uh, because it could cost him his job. Uh, so talk to me a little bit about uh, your own awareness, because Sully, you talked about privilege, uh, and I'm gathering what you mean by that in the sense of uh, that there was a lot of groundwork laid ahead of you that made your opportunity uh, easier. Uh, but talk to us, uh, each of you all, about uh, your own sense of, of uh, the, the, I don't know if the word progress is right, but if you, if you think that's an appropriate word, uh, the generational movement. I will say um, that I never thought in my lifetime that as a country, we would um, get to a point where gay marriage was um, legalized. I know we're not there yet completely because there's constantly threats around that, but that in and of itself was certainly has been something that's been huge in our lifetime in terms of sort of a societal change and shift. Um, and it's, uh, it's very disheartening and sad to me that the church is, has been lagging behind in that, that um, sort of society as a whole has become more accepting and churches are still really struggling with that. Why do you think that is? Uh, because people are really stuck in their doctrines <laughs> um, and they're, they're more uh, attached to their doctrines than they are to, to really truly, this is my opinion, of course, following Jesus um, and, letting, and letting that enlightenment of, of understanding uh, that 
that God really is about love and acceptance and that we are all created in his image. Um, those doctrines die really hard. Um, and I think there's a certain amount of fear um, that people have. I don't, I really don't understand why people are afraid <laughs> of someone who is LGBTQ, like somehow they think they're going to catch a disease. You know, it's like, really? Um, and just overall, the church is so hung up on sex and sexuality and all of that. <laughs> you know, they're just like, they have a really hard time talking about these things and grappling with it. And that they're, the, their true humanness, you know, it's, you know, that's really hard for the church. What do you think is brought about the cultural change? Well, I definitely think it's, you know, when I was in seminary, there was a big witch hunt really to, to out folks, you know, even though we had lots of professors that were very supportive. And, and so it was really interesting because I was sort of on the cusp of a lot of this stuff and, um, I remember for, for myself, you know, recognizing, and it, ironically, it was my faith that gave me the courage to walk this path. And it was my faith that told me, you know, because I, I was, you know, so deeply drenched and I feel called to ministry so that I can help people live the abundant life that Christ invites people to. And finally, it was like, how dare you? When you believe you believe that that you're calling people to this abundant life through authenticity, through authentically living out their faith and fully who they are, and that their faith should not just be confined to Sunday morning um, or having Jesus just in your heart, but it should be a part of all of your life. Um, and so that was that was what really sort of tipped me over into saying this this is I can't divorce these two things from one another, and they're inter intricately connected. Um, and so I think, I think that that was a shift and, and I really appreciate what Sully was talking about, that there is so much of culture that shapes sort of how we live, um, how we understand ourselves, um, that molds our identities. You know, I think about that scripture says, don't, don't be conformed to this world, but there, there is a conformative, um, sort of piece to culture that, that I think is really powerful. You know, I remember as, as a person, you know, even after I'd come out, like, okay, I'm going to hold hands in public and like testing that and like figure out how to live into that. And like Sully was saying, talking to people and telling people. And and now it's so much a part of my identity. I hardly ever talk about it. It's just who I am. Like, I don't, I'm not, I don't wear it on my sleeve. You may or may not know, but I'm not, I don't, I, I feel very uh, one in my integrity with who I am inside and out. And it's uh, just a part of, of, you know, my life. Um, and so I just live, live that out. So I think that that, that has been a real shift of um, being allowed to, to really live into our bodies, into our relationships, into just everyday life in the world. Um, because I think, you know, you all were saying, uh, Mindy and Nancy, and that, that compartmentalization, you know, um, and Sully, you talked about this, too, that really having to live two different lives. You know, our real life is in this box that we don't tell everybody about. And, and then we sort of put on, um, which I think often church calls us to do that. Right. We put on this sort of plastic self to, to clean up and look good for God, even though God knows us in and out. Um, so it's just this really interesting moment. Um Fighting for marriage equality, you know, sitting in at the register of deeds, really being actively engaged and and saying that you know this this is you know we, this is a human right for all of us and and also I remember sitting in a room with youth from Youth Outright a, a few years ago and it was a panel about spirituality um, and I laughed I was on this panel with one of my friends who's a, a Wiccan priestess and and I said. Wow, like there were no, there was nobody who said I'm gay or I'm lesbian in this whole room when they introduced themselves. And just the categories, you know, we had very limited language even to talk about our lives and experiences. And, and now, you know, there's this robust language that youth are, are describing, you know, their experiences uh, via people that have put more and more language to it. So I, I describe, you know, going from a dictionary with one page to this whole whole book, you know, is really powerful to watch youth to be able to to really sort of 
try out this language and, and understand who they are. And eventually the language will just go away and people will just have, have this full permission to sort of live into who they are, I hope, without labels. So I think that, that you know, we're going through this whole sweeping change and, and also this pendulum of, you know, toxicity that we're going in and out of, you know, that, that we know it's not safe right now for a lot of people, people of color and, and certainly LGBTQ folk. Um, we, we recognize that, that we shouldn't take any of that for granted. Sully? Um, yeah, I... So, so when I was growing up, this was sort of a hot topic issue, but in such a way that I knew there were always people around me that agreed with me. Um, and, and I knew that there were Christians for whom homosexuality was abominable and a, and a one way ticket to hell. Um, but I also knew that that was just one kind of Christian. Um, I was never under the impression that that was Christianity. Uh, because I knew so many Christians for whom that wasn't the case and that wasn't, um, you know, their their belief. Um, I've never heard of the sinner prayer until this conversation. Um, yes. And, um, but, I, but I always grew up, you know, hearing Jesus loves you or you are beautifully and wonderfully made uh, or God has given you everything you need to live the life God is calling you to live. Um, and, and I, I know that that was simply my faith experience. There are probably, um, you know, many other people who lived just down the street from me or who went to my high school who had very, very different church experiences. Uh, and I'm sure they would have very different things to say, uh, if they were on this podcast right now. Um, but, but like Amy said, we had a vocabulary at this point. It was a discussion that was already in motion. Um, by the time I came along and, and, you know, the day I came out, I went to Barnes and Noble and bought a book called God and the Gay Christian, um, because those resources existed at this point. And I think it was, it was 2014 at that point when I came out. Um, and that's not to say at all that there isn't still a lot of work to do. There certainly is, um, maybe more now than, than, even a couple of years ago, but um, I, I'm so grateful that a lot of the groundwork in, in building this vocabulary and, and com compiling these resources um, were done by, by advocates before me so that I had a little bit of an easier time. And I think sort of the calling for a lot of us now is to look ahead and see, okay, what groundwork can we do um, so that, so that, uh, the young people in this community after us have an even easier time than we did because in so many cases, um, young people who are struggling with their sexuality or gender identity or, or anything like that are the least of these. Um, and I think it's incumbent on us to, to care for them the way that we needed to be cared for. Well, let's continue that a little bit and uh, as, as a kind of a final uh, discussion about... Um, what more needs doing? Um, well, I'll I'll continue then. Uh, to that point, uh, I don't even remember where I heard this, but I heard somebody recently say there's a difference between being invited to the dance or being invited to the party and being asked to dance. And I think that that rings true for so many different issues. It's it's not enough simply to acknowledge someone's presence and say, well maybe you're not going to hell. Um, I think the next step then is to say, you have just as much to contribute to this faith community, to this spiritual community as anyone else. And we want to honor and celebrate your contributions as well, um, including your, your own story and your own identity as an LGBTQ queer Christian. I think some of the envelope that um, still really needs pushing is around trans mm -hmm. and then the whole issue of cisgender and uh, the concepts of binary and all of that. I mean, <laughs> again, you were talking about the language, uh, Amy, it's like, you know, in the last 
you know, a couple of years, there's so much more um, conversation and, and written material and things to help people really understand a little bit more about human sexuality. And I think, I mean, honestly, that's, that's what it comes down to is truly about um, who we are as humans created in the image of God as sexual beings. And what does that really mean? Um, so I think that's the bigger, broader discussion um, related to all of this. Yes, I agree. I think I think that the power of being able to to move into a space of healing. You know, we're talking about our friend uh, Meta Commerce um, and and the need for healing. I, I've never uh, been so aware in in my lifetime of the, our need for healing and our need to to really be able to walk in the full uh, authenticity that God created us all. That that we've sort of been sold a line of goods, you know. Um, and I think many of us are realizing that, that we're in debt, you know, over our heads to, to something that has completely distorted what humanity really is about. Um, and I think Jesus authentically pointed us to what it means to be human. Um, and, and the more we can live into that, we will find our healing. And I certainly think uh, queer people are, are prophetic voices in that, uh, transgender folks in the ways that that we look at the binary like you were talking about mindy um that we we have so much work to do and that's true of racism as well and i, and I think these conversations really deeply intersect um and my mentor mary weber was right like i i began to understand so much at the intersection of my queer identity doesn't mean that my experience is the same um, but i began to understand the need um, to pull back the layers and to heal. And I think it could be, it could be us in these generations and the one coming after us that could truly get to that place of healing, that place that we've never been before. I mean, it's so clear from this conversation that we've never been to that place, like Meta says. Um, we've never been to that place where um, there's true racial healing and we've never been to that place, I think, where um, queer people are, are fully celebrated and you're born into authenticity and you never have to pray, God, don't let me be gay. Mm -hmm. That you fully embrace, you know, I hung up Psalm 139 was hanging in my locker in high school and it stayed with me through my whole coming out journey. Um, ironically, it's, it's so interesting. It was Jesus in Psalm 139 and Psalm 139 talks about how we were intricately woven together that, that we were created in this beautiful way fearfully and wonderfully made and there's there's words in our faith that i think just just are so powerful and and i hate to uh give those over because those were given as gifts from god you know throughout even the romans was uh, such a toxic book that had been twisted and turned um romans 8 told me there's no, therefore no condemnation, right? And in Romans 11, I kept hearing the gifts and call of God are irrevocable. So these were texts that, that told me, right? That God, God made me and nobody's here to condemn me, but Christ and Christ intercedes for me. It gave me the playbook to become fully human. And so I pray that we move toward healing where people can be fully human just the way that they are. Well, I am in awe of uh, and deeply inspired by your courage uh, because I know that it still takes courage uh, in what you have told tonight. Uh, and I am deeply thankful for each of you. Uh, you have been role models uh, for my own walk, and I'm grateful for that. So uh, blessings uh, to each of you in your continued journeys and in your continued effort. You are listening to Practicing Gospel. I'm David Rayburn. The music for this episode comes from a clip of a song called Father Let Your Kingdom Come that is on the Porter's Gate Worship Project Work Songs album and used by permission by the Porter's Gate Work Project. You can purchase the album 
and learn more about the Worship Project by going to the website, theportersgate.com. This show has as its purpose enabling you to hear the voices of the Christian left and about the issues and concerns that are of interest to the Christian left. Practicing Gospel Inc. is a nonprofit organization. If you like what you've heard, go to my website at practicing-gospel.blubrry.net to subscribe and hopefully to donate. Your participation will help me continue this effort. Thank you for listening and for your support. Blessings. May the words from my mouth speak your peace.